Pimelo Mutine now. Marlene, Marlene Wright is my guest and she is a nutritional health coach and we're discussing the health of the gut and how uh, some of the ailments that you have maybe contributed to the fact that your health of your gut is not optimum. Uh, Marlene, I mean, I wasn't, I was quite shocked to look at some of the symptoms of an unhealthy gut. Um, no energy, bloating. Could you give us some more of those? Yeah, I think if you're experiencing things like bloating on a daily basis, your energy is constantly low, you might have abdominal pain, maybe constipation or diarrhea, brain fog or low mood, or perhaps you've been diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder, even just, you know, suffering from frequent infections, uh, getting ill easily, you know, picking up any bug that's going around or having food intolerances or joint pain, inflammation, you know, all these things are tied to our gut health. You, you speak of the principle of removing, replacing and restore. If you had to start, what would we be removing to, to try and get this balance sorted? Well, I would say one of the best and easiest ways to, to start um, improving your gut health is to cut out refined flours and sugar. That I think is one of the biggest you know, um, causes of bad gut health in, in uh, this day and age that we live in. So that would be the first step. And when I say refined flours, I, I include in that list, you know, any gluten-free flours as well. I think often people think, you know, they see something as gluten-free and then they think, okay, well, that should be healthy then. But that's not the case. It's also refined flour. There's no fiber in there for your microbes to feed on because basically what those gut bugs really want, the good guys, is fiber. And when you supply them with the fiber, that's when they can thrive and multiply and diversify, which is what we want. So we need to give them lots and lots of fiber and that comes from vegetables, not refined flours. Um, Sugar is also not a good idea because sugar feeds the wrong kind of bacteria. Um, and then I would also say one of the biggest other lifestyle changes you can make is avoiding antibiotics. Um, now, I know antibiotics are an amazing, um, and, you know, medication and can save lives, but we must be very careful about when we choose to take antibiotics and only when a healthcare practitioner is absolutely 100% sure it's necessary should we should we use them. And then also avoiding antibiotics and meat, you yeah. know, because that's even if you're cutting out the antibiotics uh, that's unnecessarily prescribed sometimes, you still need to think about that antibiotics that you are getting in every time you eat meat. So just choosing, you know, like grass-fed, pasture-raised, antibiotic-free meat can make a huge difference as well. Let's quickly just focus on the sugar. When you say sugar, what, what do you mean? I mean, there is sugar in fruit. There are people who use fructose as yeah, a supplement. Yeah. There's honey and all of that. So one must weigh up the evils. Um, for example, uh, the worst kinds of sugar you can have is obviously refined sugar um, that you find in treats and sweets and cakes, that sort of thing. Refined flowers, uh, which come you know, in, in the form of white bread and, and pasta, those will turn into sugar in your body anyway. Uh, but if you look at fruit, for example, I think, you know, that's one of the better sugars to include. So if you have a craving for something sweet, then rather have a piece of fruit that at least is going to also provide you with uh, vitamins and fiber and phytonutrients. 
um, and rather cut up, cut out, you know, the really refined sugars like the the carbonated drinks and the sweets and the white breads and the pastas and the cakes and the crackers and that sort of thing. So, so you, in a sense, are on the same page as Tim Noakes when he says even fruit is too much sugar. So, you, fruit should well, be like a treat. Yeah, well, I think, you know, when it comes to children, for example, I have two young children and I do allow them at least two fruits a day. Uh, but sometimes, you know, more because I think there's a lot of nutrition in fruits and if they're not going to be eating that many vegetables, which children are obviously not always that keen on, then I'd rather let them have a couple of fruits a day. And also, you know, they're busy and they're running around, so they can burn up those sugars. But as an adult, for example, who's sitting perhaps, uh, you know, doing a very sedentary job, sitting at a desk all day mm. or, you know, in a car, mm. then you're not really in need of that extra sugar. So then I would say rather choose, if you're going to choose uh, fiber, then choose vegetables. Uh, you know, that's not going to add extra sugar to your diet. Goodness. Okay. So it's really about you know who who you you know who are you thinking about at that stage who who's eating the food and what sort of life are they eating? Um, things like honey is also not a bad choice, but you know not too much, just a little bit is enough. I mean, there um, is this. Just be careful with sugar. There, there's this notion that you deal with in the book to say that if if you, for instance, are you've got a sweet tooth for argument's sake, you can change that palate. Absolutely, I think. You know, it's a hard journey to make initially because those microbes that are asking for the sugar mm. is still residing in your body. So you need to let them sort of almost die off, you know, mm. and feed the right guy so they can start really flourishing. Mm. And then, you know, you go through that transition period where you're really going to crave the sugar and slowly but surely those cravings are going to go away because the microbes that you used to feed with sugar is now you know, not in a majority anymore. Mm. And that's why I say it's so important to have a wide variety. And the only way we can get a wide variety of microbes is to feed them a wide variety of vegetables because every single vegetable you eat will feed a different kind of microbe or encourage a different kind of microbe. And uh, so eating lots and lots of different vegetables every day is important. Um, And, you know, the bulk of your meal should come from watery vegetables and I would say you know then also thinking about not eating too much meat because meat doesn't contain any fiber I'm not saying you shouldn't have meat but choosing consciously when it comes to meat is a good idea for no antibiotics and just a little bit you know and then really just well, just quantify, that, advice, quantify it for us Marlene well what what would you consider to be a little bit how much how many times a week and so oh. on Gosh, uh, you know, the size of your palm once a day uh, of animal protein, I would say, is more than enough. But it really depends from, you know, a child to an adult. Mm. Uh, But just once a day, whatever portion you're going to choose, I think, you know, animal protein shouldn't be necessary or needed more than once a day. And so if you go to a more plant-based diet, immediately you solve the problem of you're adding a lot of fiber to your diet, which is what your gut wants. All right, let's 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 take those calls, 891 You may have some issues with your gut or you've got some aches and pains and you have no idea where they come from or what's causing them. You've been taking medication, nothing is helping. Maybe this is the solution for you. Marlene, you also talk about removing uh, milk in well, one's diet. You know, I would say most people seem to not do too well with dairy. Um, But I think also now, you know, it's really important 
what sort of dairy. If you're going to have dairy, there's dairy and there's dairy. So I would say choose milk from A2 origin, which means uh, it's much more compatible to the human body. Um, choose cultured milk products or dairy products such as yogurt or a cultured cheese, which is going to add beneficial bacteria to your body, which is great. And, um, you know, just in general, uh, I think over-pasteurized or super-pasteurized dairy in large quantities is not a good idea. It's going to encourage the wrong kind of bacteria and it's probably not going to digest very well. So in general, I think it's a good rule of thumb just to stick with a little bit of dairy. And when you choose dairy, choosing wisely, Mm -hmm. for example, cultured dairy is is a much better choice than, for example, drinking uh, a big glass or maybe even a liter of ultra-pasteurized milk, which is not going to do you any good. It's just going to cause digestive issues. Okay, so that that kind of means that it's what yogurts and cheese and that kind of thing, uh, amasi, but not milk as in pure milk. Um, yeah, you know, I think dairy is um, it's an interesting subject because we're the only mammals on the planet that drinks another mammal's dairy. It's very odd, actually, if you think about it. You know, it's not your mother, it's not your milk, but there's no reason why you can't enjoy a bit of dairy, but you've got to be very careful about what dairy you choose. So, uh, you know, in the States, for example, you can now buy milk with a label, a big yellow sticker that draws your attention that says this is A2 milk. And there's a reason for that, and I think it's going to come to South Africa fairly soon, because A2 milk is much more compatible to the human body than A1 milk. And so those are from cows of Asian and African origin. And so you can start, you know, looking up on the internet where <clears throat> is my milk coming from. If you know you're buying from a specific supermarket and you know they they have Jersey cows, is that the right type of milk for me? And then also, like I said, choosing cultured milk is, is a good idea because at least it's easier to digest, but you're also adding those lovely probiotics or good bacteria to your body, which is always a good idea. Salt, Marlene, you, you differentiate salts. Why is pink Himalayan salt better than the other salt that we, we get to, Actually, to see? Actually, yeah, I'm, <clears throat> I'm a big fan of Himalayan salt because mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, unprocessed. Okay. And I think it has a nice, um, a good mineral uh, content. Mm. But I also am a, a big fan of sea salt. So, um, you know, sea salt is, is also a, a good choice because it has iodine in it, which we often lack, you know. And especially if you have some thyroid issues, you might want to go to your doctor and check your thyroid health. And, and if there is some issues, your doctor might prescribe having a bit of extra sea salt in your diet. Um, so, you know, salt is good. Always just choosing, a good, you know, pure products with only one ingredient on the label. If you look at the label and it has a whole lot of other stuff on it, then, then that's probably not a good idea. But good old sea salt and pink Himalayan salt are both really good choices for their mineral content and the fact that they're unprocessed and they don't contain any other ingredients apart from what, you know, your body needs. Mm. Oils and fats, this is contentious, like I suppose dairy. What is good and what is not? Is it animal fat? Is it vegetable fat? So, yeah, I think a little bit of animal fat is absolutely fine. Again, choosing uh, animals that's been pasture-raised is better than choosing feeding lots, you know, meat fat. Um, For example, if you 
cheese, a pasture-raised um, pork fat or bacon with, with fat on it, that's usually quite high in omega-3 because it's a pasture-raised animal. So that, that fat could be very good for you in, in small quantities. Um, and, you know, we all know that we can't just eat a huge amount of, of uh, saturated fat. We have to be careful about how much we eat. But some saturated fat is good for you. And I think the best advice I can offer you is um, what we really need to focus on is how many veggies have I eaten today? You know, just including a huge amount of vegetables, as much as you can. I would even say for an adult, up to six or seven cups of vegetables a day. And then a little bit of fat and good fats like olive oil, you know, that you can drizzle over your salad or some soup or uh, if you're cooking using coconut oil, which can withstand high temperatures. Um, There's such lovely oils these days, avocado oil, macadamia nut oil, um, all those really good Oils. I would stay away from the more refined uh, vegetable oils such as sunflower seed and canola oil mm-hmm. um, because they're very refined and very processed. Mm. Um, but I would, you know, just so, so, the, so for, for high heat, you said, for instance, what would be the substitute there? Um, I like using macadamia nut oil for high heat cooking or coconut oil. Those are my two go tos. And then, you know, you can also even use some ghee, uh, which is basically clarified butter. So all the milk solids have been taken out of the butter fat and you just end up with the fat. And, and then you can cook at fairly high temperatures yeah. with, with that. Um, and then olive oil, I reserve for, so for salads or juggling over a dish yeah, yeah, once it's cooked. So not for cooking with. Lentils. Lentils, yeah. So, you know, everybody, um, not everybody grew up eating lentils or beans. So not everybody d- does very well with digestion of, of lentils and beans. But I am a big fan because it's a great source of fiber and protein and other nutritional, you know, uh, uh, lovely nutritious um, minerals that can be added to your diet this way. Um, so, you know, the main thing when you're cooking with lentils, if you're new to lentils or beans, is to make sure that you've prepared them well. So you soak them um, for quite a few hours and then you drain off that soaking water and you rinse them and then you then you cook them well in, in a salted brine. And that soaking process is very important because it will help your body digest them. Uh, properly as opposed to feeling discomfort after eating lentils and beans. So that's that's quite an important part. And it's also, you know, it's very cost-effective. Yeah. Marlene, you know, the buzzword these days is this intermittent fast- fasting. Um, it sounds like it's a fad. We don't really know. But what's the benefit of that for your gut health? Well, the, the benefit is, you know, I think it's a good time for... It's important for your body to have time to do house cleaning every day. And this notion that we need three meals a day, I think just as we thought we needed to eat margarine as opposed to butter, we, <laughs> you know, we've had to admit that that wasn't a really good idea. And so whoever decided we needed to have breakfast may have been wrong, and we can now question that because it's- that cleaning time and cleansing time is good for your gut. Um, 
to help, you know, when bacteria needs to multiply or do some house cleaning. It's not the um, most important meal of the day, Marlene. No, not necessarily. I don't think so. And it really depends on person to person. I know people that will totally get the shakes in the morning if they haven't eaten something. And then if you feel like that, you definitely should eat something, you know. And then I know people that can easily skip breakfast and, you know, eat only at like 11 or 12 in the morning and then they could probably easily skip supper. I'm the sort of person that can't skip supper. I need to have supper and then I can easily skip breakfast. Mm. Um, and it's a good time for, for your body to, like I said, to do a bit of house cleaning. It's very good for helping you manage your insulin levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, if you want to move more towards uh, a diet where there's very little sugar and refined carbs in your diet, which mm-hmm. is, is the way to go, I would say, then a fasting period is a great to teach your body to run on ketones, which is basically running on fat for fuel as opposed to running on glucose for fuel. Mm. It's very good for your brain too. You know, your brain health uh, will benefit greatly from fasting as will your digestive system and you probably will end up losing quite a bit of weight as well, which, we, you know, we're all trying to, to manage our weight and, and feel trim and healthy. So, I, you know, I really think that Intermittent fasting can be very helpful. I wouldn't recommend it for children, but yeah. if you're an adult and you are struggling maybe with insulin level issues or, you know, feel uncomfortable often and bloated, then that's a good step in the right direction. But obviously you can still, you know, kind of fool your body that you're in fasting mode by adding a little bit of coconut oil or MCT oil to a coffee in the morning um, and getting through the morning by adding a little bit of the good fats to the diet and your body still thinks it's in fasting mode and, and you don't really feel hungry because you've kind of, you know... Uh, cheated a little bit. Thank you so um, much, Marlene. I mean, it's a wonderful insights, and I think there's a lot in this book, and maybe we'll have you back again to continue this conversation, Marlene Wright. She's the author of the book called The Mandala Kitchen, and uh, really she's a nutritional health coach, and uh, that conversation will be available as a podcast. It's now 2 o'clock. Let's go to Utsi Lesaku for the news.